Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Chris Chimes is made possible with the support of Pratt & Whitney, whose GTF engines are redefining aviation. Learn more at pwgtf.com. TA Connections, the industry's most comprehensive airline lodging and crew logistics program. taconnections.com. Clear, a leader in touchless travel. Learn more at clearme.com slash airlines. And Seabury Capital Group, global reach, global scale. seaburycapital.com. We also welcome your business's support. Info at airlinesconfidential.com. Hello to all of our loyal listeners and welcome all of our new listeners. This is Airlines Confidential and I'm Ben Baldanzo welcoming you on board. I'm joined as always by Chris Chimes who helped us land another great guest this week. Hi, Chris. Hey, Ben. How's it going? I think our listeners are going to enjoy our conversation with Linda Rutherford, the Executive VP of People and Communications for Southwest Airlines. But first, let's get to a few news items and we're going to start with covid Vaccination requirements again in the news for U.S. airline employees. First, United Airlines announced that they were going to begin to process the termination of nearly 600 employees who had not met the October 1st deadline to be vaccinated. That number got reduced to 320 after almost half that population group confirmed their vaccination status after the deadline. Then, late last week, American, Alaska, and JetBlue all said they will now require vaccinations for all employees after trying a number of ways to encourage employees to voluntarily get jabbed. The Allied Pilots Association had recently estimated that approximately 4,000 American Airlines pilots, about 30%, had not been vaccinated. It's possible by the time this program airs, other major airlines or smaller airlines could follow suit. But Ben, it's starting to look like a runway conga line out there as more airlines get in line behind United. Well, Chris, this doesn't totally surprise me as more and more companies are doing this, more and more school districts and colleges are doing this. And in a way, I like this, Chris, because while I'm not a fan of federal government mandates on things, I do like the fact that private companies or maybe private entities can decide for themselves what they think is best for their employees, their customers, and others. I like the fact that Delta, for example, decided we're not going to force it, but we're going to raise your premiums like we do for smokers or things like that. And having the market sort of make those decisions is, is a real smart thing. So United did a good thing, I think, by getting this going. It doesn't totally surprise me that others have gotten in line, but I don't think it's going to be the sort of thing like a lot in the industry where one player does it, everybody matches. I think everybody's going to think about what's right for them. And people are certainly watching the results, not only from other airline competitors, but other companies and what the tonality in the country is around and things like that. So it'll be interesting to see not only among airlines, lines, but among other businesses, how far this really goes. I thought it was interesting that the independent pilot unions at Southwest and American have said that they're going to ask the administration for some kind of blanket or broader exemption to the vaccine requirements because they have a number of their members 
who have health concerns and side effect concerns and other kinds of concerns that uh, make them not want to get vaccinated. But, you know, pretty much all the pilots at United Airlines have been vaccinated and they're in the same profession. And, you know, as I read between the political lines, it, it seems like probably the, the administration has gone to the major unions like ALPA and said, we need you to be with us. And so as an independent union, the American and Southwest pilots are kind of outside that fence and they're going to try, but I, you know, I, I don't see this getting very far. You know, I don't either, but I am a fan also of exemptions when they're real. You know, an exemption of, I just don't want to do it, so I'll find something where I can fit to get an exemption is different than if I have a real medical issue. Or I'm also concerned about pregnant women, especially if they're early in their pregnancy and, you know, may not be affecting their job performance in any way yet. And so they can still go to work gainfully every day, right? And yet they're probably told not to get the vaccine if they're not yet vaccinated. And I would hate to see people like that lose their job, right? Because they can't. I would like in that sort of case, for example, as well, when your doctor says it's safe after the birth, we'll give you two months after that or something like that. So I I like the idea of some exemptions as long as they're real. But I agree with you that I don't see why independent pilot unions would have more exemptions than sort of the the Alpas of the world. Yeah. And even pregnant women now, you know, the CDC seems to be getting a little more urgent and saying it's very important for them to be, be vaccinated. I totally realize that that is also a personal choice if you're carrying a baby. So I don't want to get in the middle of that one either. But I think this is going to be a tough tough hill for some of these unions to um, think that they're going to get some kind of special treatment, but we'll watch this. And again, I'm not, I'm not taking sides here, so I'm not trying to put my thumb on the the scale. I'm just kind of observing and, and sharing my political point of view um, with regard to how things work, not my personal politics. So anyway, Ben, we also talked last week with Vasu Raja, American's chief revenue officer about the potential for the AA JetBlue Alliance to spur competition. And it appears he's right, despite the objections of the U.S. Department of Justice, that that alliance is going to be generating competition in the Northeast. Delta isn't about to lose its edge in Boston, apparently, because last week they announced plans for new international routes from Boston Logan to Athens, Greece, and Tel Aviv, and new domestic routes to BWI, Denver, and San Diego, and numerous equipment upgages on various routes. So it seems to me that Delta's helping AA and JetBlue build their case with regard to the pro-competitive nature of their alliance. I think that's right, Chris. And um, one of the things that JetBlue and American pointed out in their documents was that New York, at least for business travelers, has essentially been a duopoly between United and Delta. And American has not been able to compete effectively, but they believe that in partnership with JetBlue combined, they can create a third competitor. And who wouldn't want that in a city like New York to have three strong competitors versus only two strong competitors? And in the case of Boston, Delta continuing to build up, even if 
JetBlue and American get together there proves the point, as you said, that this isn't stopping competition at all. It's ratcheting up competition, and that's a good thing for consumers. Yeah, I agree. Very few of these DOJ lawsuits go anywhere. Once in a while they win. Sometimes it's leverage to try to get some more concessions out of the deal, but um, we'll have to watch watch where this goes. But clearly the gloves are off on all sides uh, as it relates to Boston and New York with the major carriers. Well, Pratt & Whitney is a world leader in the design, manufacture, and service of aircraft and helicopter engines and auxiliary power units. Pratt & Whitney has the broadest and deepest experience in all forms of aircraft propulsion. To learn more about their 95 years of innovation and how they power the future of flight, visit prattwhitney.com. And Seabury Capital Group is a specialty finance and investment banking firm, boasting a 25-year track record of advising key clients in aviation, aerospace and defense, and financial services and technologies. Seabury Capital Group's award-winning and widely respected team has superior industry knowledge along with state-of-the-art analysis, technology, and solutions, along with an unmatched depth of relationships with decision-makers in industry, finance, and government. Explore their global reach and scale at seaburycapital.com. And now, Ben, it's time for an aha moment. Uh, What do you think about this express jet rebranded enterprise called AHA? That will start flying from medium-sized markets in the West three times a week to Reno-Tahoe Airport using 50-seat Embraer aircraft. Well, it surprises me in a way, but it doesn't in another. You know, when ExpressJet sort of lost some of their deals and they had all these 50-seat jets... Not unlike Atlantic coasted many years ago in creating Independence Air when they lost their code share with United at Dulles, it surprises me that they're going to try to make a go with the 50-seat jet. That's just a high-seat cost, low-trip cost, but high-seat cost airplane. It's going to be hard for them, I think, to compete, especially on the West Coast with Avello now building up in Burbank, Southwest already very strong there, and great competition from United, Alaska, and other majors out there as well. I get that they're based in Reno, and maybe they'll have some unique routes in and out of Reno. But one thing that former express carriers don't have is a lot of commercial sense inside them. You know, when you're an operator, like they were, ExpressJet was, you were good at flying airplanes and making sure you had pilots and planes in the right place and training and safety and things, but you didn't have to worry about who walked up to your airplane because that marketing was handled by your big airline partner. When you're responsible for that side of the house, it's a completely different world. And so... I'm not sure what AHA has built or who they've hired to sort of really make this happen. Sabod Karnik, their CEO, is a smart guy and he does have commercial sensibility. So I trust that maybe he's a good leader for this to try to make it happen. But building a commercial side of the business while still running things and basing it all on the 50-seat jet makes me somewhat suspect that they can really make a go of it. That said, Sabote is smart 
and he's got a lot of experience from a number of different airlines. So at least he's a seasoned guy and at least someone who understands probably how big a challenge this is and what a Haas trying to do. So first, Ben, I'm going to channel Andrew Levy and remind you it's a Velo Airlines uh, on the West Coast. I agree with everything else you said. Part of me is like, should this be called Oive Airlines? I don't. I just don't. I, I don't. I don't know. It, there's just like some extra planes, and someone's trying to come up with a way to use them, and I admire them for trying. But these are really small markets, and three days a week. It just. It just doesn't seem like it's going to be able to kind of get the traction that you need in a very crowded marketplace where even the major airlines are chasing passengers right now in medium-sized markets. So. I, I wish them well, but I don't. I don't know about this one. And, and finally, Ben, let's head down south of the equator. There are rumors of a merger in the works between the Colombian flag carrier Avianca with Chilean low-cost carrier Sky Airlines. This is all part of Avianca's Chapter Eleven restructuring that is winding down the U.S. bankruptcy court. How does this deal make sense to you, or does it make sense to you? Well, as far as I know, it's still just rumor, so I don't know if it's a real deal or not, but I do think it would make sense for a couple of reasons. You know, the biggest carrier in within Latin America is LATAM, which has sort of a pan-South American presence with, you know, Chile, Peru, uh, Brazil, moving north into Colombia and so on. And so for Avianca, who has been in Chapter 11 bankruptcy, has been trying to lower their costs significantly while in Chapter 11 and emerge not just a leaner Avianca, but a somewhat different Avianca, it doesn't surprise me that they would too try to create some sort of, you know, broader South American entity that is not just Colombia and Ecuador based where Avianca is now, but brings in more of the bigger economies in South America. And if you look at it from Sky's end, they've been a good airline for a while, but they're sort of under attack by JetSmart, who has this new deal with American Airlines, right? So they're probably looking for some support, better connectivity, maybe linkage with someone bigger to help them compete in the market they're in as well. So I think from both sides, that's a deal that probably could make some sense. Yeah, I was wondering if this was a way for Sky to kind of shoehorn into the United Alliance and the Star Alliance that Avianca is a member of, but clearly them getting attached to a bigger network would be useful to them. Like you said, in the in the broader uh, context of how One World's uh, moving around down there and, and the Delta Alliance as well. Coming up, our conversation with Linda Rutherford, the EVP for People and Communications at Southwest Airlines. But not before we remind you that Clear makes travel safer and easier. Become a member of Clear and you'll enjoy frictionless journeys when you use Clear's home to gate feature, which lets you know exactly the best time to leave for the airport. Plus, Clear's signature experience helps you move seamlessly through airport security. Where will you go? Get back out there with Clear. We've got another great guest this week. Uh, Linda Rutherford is the Senior Executive for Communications and People at Southwest Airlines. And Linda and I have uh, crossed paths and competed and worked together at various levels over the years. And she's uh, one of the top leaders at Southwest. We're glad you're here. Linda, welcome to Airlines Confidential. 
Thank you both. Great to be here. We always start these conversations by asking our guests to introduce themselves and tell us how they got into the airline business and what your current role is. Sure. Well, I will be celebrating 30 years with Southwest Airlines in June of 2022, and uh, I currently serve as our Executive Vice President of People and Communications. So I, I get to work with our human resources function, our employee learning and development, our diversity, equity, and inclusion team, all of our communication and community outreach and then our um, culture and engagement department was just a little bit different in the airline industry, but that's the team that works with our employee survey, employee insights, the employee experience, and all of our awards and recognition programs and culture events. So it's a, um, it's a great position to be in. And, and basically, I find that my day-to-day job is to continue to build affinity for the Southwest brand and, and make Southwest Airlines an attractive place to come to work. When you asked me about how I got into this job, it's a little interesting. My background is actually in magazine and newspaper reporting. And so I was a a beat reporter for the Dallas Times-Herald, and I was covering the airline industry uh, when that uh, newspaper went out of business in December of, of 1991. And all of the airlines were very gracious uh, to offer, you know, industry passes to fly around for interviews at various uh, newspapers if I was going to go that route. But Southwest went one further and, and actually asked if I might be interested in an entry-level position as a public relations coordinator. And I went and interviewed, and, and the rest is history. Well, that's very exciting, Linda. And Southwest is known for decades as having just wonderful people who are fun and care. And so I'm sure you've been a big part of that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been it's been great fun. I I even knew as a reporter uh, that there's something special about the environment here at Southwest Airlines and the and the people that we hire to go out and serve our customers. And it's been great fun to to now work more closely with many of those departments that are responsible for finding those great people and for keeping them engaged and giving them good tools to do their jobs. Yeah, I'm wondering about uh, in today's world if airlines would give journalists passes to go around and interview for jobs. That's That sounds like something from the land time forgot. So, Well, I will tell you, to an airline, Delta, Continental, American, and Southwest all made that offer. So it was, yeah, it was pretty great back then. That's yep. amazing. Well, Linda, as you know, the industry had a real positive surprise this summer with lots of people, but that created a real tough summer for the whole industry. How are you feeling about your operations as we head into the fall? You know, we've been able to make uh, several adjustments to our capacity in the fall to to better match, I think, our staffing and and then also taking a look at, you know, what uh, demand has looked like as a result of the Delta variant. So I, I think we feel pretty good going into the holiday season that we were able to make some, you know, some modest uh, adjustments to our schedule and, you know, hopefully provide a better customer experience. We we acknowledge that, you know, this this summer was tough. And between, you know, the weather and some technology challenges and some staffing challenges, you know, we didn't deliver the best product that we know how to. And so, you know, we working with our employees, we made some pretty swift moves uh, at the end of August and going into September. And and we're hopeful that that will help smooth the operation out as we get into the the last quarter of the year here. So, Linda, no discussion about the airline industry right now can uh, not include something about covid Unfortunately, uh, Southwest just announced that all employees need to be fully vaccinated by December 8th, I think it is. And that's consistent with the position of several other major carriers. 
We've talked quite a bit on this program about where airlines are falling as far as vaccination requirements, both for employees and then also their ability to implement some kind of vaccine requirement, say for international travel, if that was required. So talk to us a bit about where your team is on these two matters. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. The first thing I would say is related to President Biden's executive order related to federal contractors. You know, we took uh, some time and, and diligently went through all of that material and concluded that Southwest Airlines is a federal contractor and therefore needed to comply uh, with the requirement that our employees be vaccinated. So we did let them know this week, we let our employees know this week that we would be taking steps to show our compliance with that requirement. The White House has asked that that happen by December 8th. And so we've begun the communication effort to uh, have our employees upload their vaccination cards. If there is a, a, a narrow disability or medical or religious accommodation that needs to be considered. We have a process set up for uh, for them to apply and, and go through that effort. And we want to be able to show the government that we can comply with that requirement uh, so that we can continue to obviously be a federal contractor. The thing I would say there is sometimes the question comes up, well, can we just forego the contracts? That's just not good business. I mean, we, we need to maximize revenue in this environment. It is very important to our bottom line uh, that we continue to generate revenue from those contracts. They involve city pair for government travel. Uh, that involves Department of Defense charters. Uh, it involves uh, being part of the Civil Reserve Air Fleet. And, you know, honestly, our employees have taken great pride as we've participated in various military movements and, you know, Afghan uh, refugee movements in the past. So that, that, that business is important to us as we move along and, and recover here. Related to customers, you know, there are already requirements that exist around COVID testing and health declarations for international travel. I have seen the debate coming up related to international travel, and, and we're monitoring basically to see what, what might happen. You could follow the logic and see where, you know, a requirement coming online for traveling passengers could be the next place to go. Uh, but, you know, that, that obviously has not been determined yet. Linda, let me ask, if there were a federal rule saying that in order to board an airplane in the United States, you have to be vaccinated, what do you think that would do to the domestic business right now? Well, I think that, um, you know, we are obviously in a position, as all airlines are, trying to boost business travel, to talk with our corporate clients about getting back out and conducting business and, and traveling via airlines. I think that we would, you know, want to do what we can to create that safe environment uh, for our employees and our customers but it's a balance. You know, we have to be, we just have to be cognizant that anything we do at this fragile point to dampen demand is, is something that you have to take into consideration when you look at the bigger picture. Let's talk a bit about a business issue that is looming over the industry right now. Business traffic, I think, is often misunderstood because when people think of business traffic, they usually think that the company pays and the person travels. But a lot of tr people travel for business even when they're paying for the ticket themselves, and that's usually smaller business. Southwest is great for that kind of business, which is the bulk of business in the U.S., because you fly so many flights in and among, you know, lots of big cities. Do you think this smaller business traveler 
the traffic for that traveler will rebound faster than the traditional company paid corporate traffic? Well, great question. Pre-COVID, uh, we were a very popular choice for both the managed, um, you know, large corporate business traveler, as well as the unmanaged smaller business traveler, as you described. But I think right now it might be too early to know for sure. Business travel overall remains significantly below our leisure travel levels. You know, as an example, in July 2021, our leisure passenger levels and fare levels were above our July 2019 levels, which represented, you know, a great rebound in leisure demand in a peak summer month. But in in contrast, also in July 2021, our business traveler uh, revenues were were still down 64% versus July 2019. So business demand has continued to significantly lag leisure travel recovery. And, you know, we believe at Southwest Airlines, we have many attributes that appeal to all business customers. You know, our low cost structure enables us to offer those competitive fares, uh, flexible policies. And we know that that's appealing to business. And it's, you know, it's also fair uh, to assume that small businesses may need to be back on the road traveling and and have fewer restrictions um, on travel than maybe some of our larger corporate customers Certainly in the last few months, though, we've, we've seen that the Delta variant, you know, has stalled our overall business travel uh, recovery. So, again, we're going to, you know, we're going to need to see more business uh, rebound and some consistent trends, I think, before we can, you know, detect a true business travel uh, trend by, by customer demographic or otherwise. So let's take one more kind of business and finance question before we switch to some culture and and other kinds of discussion points, uh, Linda. Southwest has to compete with ultra-low-cost carriers now like the full-service carriers do. And we're seeing the likes of the full-service carriers implement basic economy kinds of fears to, to hit that price point. Is that something, you know, obviously you can't share confidential information, but how do you see Southwest effectively competing against the ultra-low-cost carrier fears in the marketplace moving forward? That's a great question. You know, Southwest Airlines is on the record that we have no intentions to downgrade our product. Our all coach seating product is arguably the best in the industry. You know, we are a market leader. We are number one in 25 of the top 50 travel markets in the United States, which, you know, is a significant lead uh, over the competition. We uh, cherish our direct relationship with our customers, they know us well. Uh, we have a strong brand. The strength of our schedule is robust, and we believe that you know our value proposition, with no surprise fees, no punitive fees, continues to really resonate with the masses. It's important to note that you know pre-COVID, Southwest consistently had the highest net margin in the industry, and again, we believe that you know our low-cost structure allows for great competitive fares, uh, which really does you know it works it works well with our business model and and our brand in the industry. That's a terrific answer, Linda, and it's not surprising that airlines of all shapes and sizes look to Southwest for inspiration when they try to think of their own business model. Southwest has always prided itself on its culture, both internally and how you treat customers. But a lot has changed in the last 50 years, especially as it relates to political correctness and diversity, equity, and inclusion. You mentioned these are specifically part of your responsibilities at Southwest. I think about those old Southwest flight attendant hot pants, for example. How do you keep that spirit of the company and yet adapt to changing expectations and norms? 
I think that, you know, I've, I've been here for nearly 30 years. Uh, Southwest Airlines is actually celebrating its 50th anniversary here in, in 2021. And it is the nimbleness of the organization to adapt to, you know, the environment that we live in, the expectations of society, uh, the different and changing travel demands of customers. So I think one of the things that is is truly special about the culture is just that ability to sort of, um, you know, zig and zag. You know, Herb Kelleher used to say that he wanted our organization to have the alacrity of a puma. And, uh, you know, as, as only Herb Kelleher could say. But I think that that is, you know, it's a testament to the ways in which we've had to adapt our business. You know, many years ago when GDSs, did not care for the way that we wanted to participate. We had to change the way that we distributed our product. You know, after 9-11, Southwest, like all other airlines, had to dive in and figure out how to meet the new security expectations and how, you know, the customer experience was going to change as a result uh, of what happened after the the tragic events of of 9-11. So I think that we always say that a lot has changed about our business in the last 50 years, where we fly, you know, the the aircraft that we brought into the fleet, uh, what our uniforms look like. But the core of Southwest Airlines, that sort of esprit de corps that we expect from our employees, that connection with the customer, you know, that has that has not changed. And so our employees are really good at finding ways to connect uh, with our customers because we all fly for different reasons. Some of them are great reasons and we're very happy and we're excited to go on vacation. Some of them are sad reasons and we're, you know, we're going to say goodbye to a loved one. And our people really pay attention to the mood on board our airplanes and, and work to really deliver service that meets the customer where they are. The way that we keep that spirit going, because certainly the last you know, the last few years has, has been incredibly intense when you think about uh, the challenges to our business as a result of the Boeing Max grounding. And then here, obviously, through all these months of the pandemic, we've really had a focus on resiliency and making sure that our employees continue to have the tools they need to deliver and sharing prideful stories with them about all of the extraordinary you know, efforts that our employees are undertaking to get customers where they need to go. It's been about keeping remote workers you know, who work in our headquarters campus and in our support functions engaged in our business and really understanding what challenges we have ahead of us and how we need to work as a team to overcome them. And it's been a focus as well on on mental health and wellness. You know, it's it's been a stressful situation. So we're being much more transparent and open all the way up, you know, to our uh, to our CEO, Gary Kelly and our incoming CEO, Bob Jordan, to speak openly and honestly about some of the challenges that we know our people are having in in stressful environments. But being a great balance of acknowledging some of the stressful, the stresses that are happening in our business, but also being really encouraging that Southwest Airlines is in a fantastic position to really come out of the pandemic stronger than ever and and with the capabilities you know to increase our route map we were you know we we added uh, uh several uh locations and new destinations during the pandemic when other airlines were kind of hunkering down and so places like Fresno and uh and Savannah you know that's all been really exciting uh expansion and it's been a real point of pride for our employees Today's conversation with Linda Rutherford is brought to you by TA Connections TA Connections provides an intelligent, integrated, flexible suite of applications that allow airlines to deploy an industry-leading mix of augmentation and automations tools, 
configurable and personalized to your unique needs. Learn more at taconnections.com. TA Connections is a fleet core company and is the world's leading provider of technology and services for crew and passenger logistics management. Welcome back to our conversation with Linda Rutherford of Southwest Airlines. Linda, a few minutes ago, you were talking about that great Southwest culture, which it, it truly is. But even your company has been caught up in the labor shortage that most major employers are seeing and small business as well. You seem to be very aggressively recruiting ramp workers uh, right now, but what are the other mission critical priorities that are getting your attention as far as recruiting, which is now part of your new function? You know, it is absolutely a war for talent. You know, some of the macro, you know, labor statistics coming out of the pandemic are that there is something like 9.5 million fewer people in the workforce. And so, you know, all kinds of service industries have been fighting very hard uh, as we're staffing up again to make sure, you know, that we that we can do what we can to win the war for talent. We're doing a lot to attract people to Southwest Airlines. We like to say it's the flight of your life. Uh, certainly, we've been paying a lot of attention to ramp workers as we build our airport operations and our flight network back up, particularly in places like Oakland and Baltimore uh, and Denver. We're also doing quite a bit of you know, flight attendant hiring. Uh, we're hiring call center representatives for customer support and services. And we're hiring flight instructors uh, to get ready for the pilot hiring that we'll be doing. So um, there are a number of work groups where we're looking to grow and expand. And that definitely has our attention because, uh, as I said, there's just a, you know, there's a real war for talent out there. And, and we want to make sure that we, you know, we get great people at Southwest Airlines because we understand that getting great people and them delivering our brand of hospitality uh, is a key competitive differentiator. Getting back to the subject of diversity and inclusion, let's talk about DEI in the cockpit. What are Southwest's plans to bring more diversity into the pilot workforce? It's a great question, Ben. There, you know, our pilot workforce uh, across the industry is one where uh, we could all do better about bringing uh, more diversity to that role. And we've been doing a, a, a number of things. Uh, we've been participating in women in aviation conferences and seminars to bring the importance of females pursuing flight operations careers. Uh, we've been working at the the school level, uh, both in um, K through 12, as well as in college programs to attract a greater diverse pipeline uh, of interest into uh, careers such as pilots. We have an, a, an Adopt-a-Pilot community outreach program, which focuses on fifth grade students to try and get them interested in aviation-related careers. Uh, we're also um, participating in a program we call Destination 225, which is a, a program to create a cadet pipeline uh, specifically for our pilot workforce. So all aimed at just getting uh, more broad interest in pilot careers overall so that we can do our part to create uh, more diversity in that workforce specifically. So PR person to PR person here, Linda. Put on that PR hat for a moment. What do you want everyone to know about Southwest Airlines and what keeps you up at night? What I would want everyone to know about Southwest Airlines is that the workforce has been extremely resilient over the last uh, nearly two years. And it's fighting. It's fighting to win customers. 
It's fighting to grow revenue back to pre-COVID levels. It is doing everything it can to modernize the customer experience and live up to the new expectations that people have traveling in uh, you know, this environment. We have never wavered in our commitment to find superior talent uh, to deliver on that great hospitality. So that's what I would want people to know. And all of that coming at an affordable fare as we have worked very hard to keep you know, our costs low. Uh, what keeps me up at night is is just more than anything, I think, retaining the great talent uh, that has been with us through these difficult chapters of our business and helping them understand that their contributions matter, that that while we've had a lot to overcome, certainly in the last several years, our brightest moments are ahead of us. And as we celebrate 50 years here in 2021, and you look back at what we have accomplished, what we have persevered, it's, you know, it's pretty remarkable. And that should be very prideful uh, for our employees and really get them energized about what's to come next. Linda, you've been terrific. You've had the opportunity to work with the legendary Herb Kelleher as well. I bet you learned from him, but I bet you taught him some things too. What's one lesson you learned from Herb that you feel you still use every day? Herb Kelleher was one of a kind, and it was uh, truly one of the greatest honors of my life to get to work for him and certainly learn from him. I think, you know, a lesson that, that I still lean on every single day is that every person matters. And there is no job that is more important uh, than another. We must work as a team. We must combat tribalism. We must uh, understand what we each bring to the mission and the purpose of Southwest Airlines and that we all play a role in connecting people to what's important in their lives through friendly, reliable, and low-cost air travel. And that is something I still get from him and use every single day in what I do. Linda, as we wrap up, the employees and the investors and the customers of Southwest Airlines are well served by having you at the executive table. This has been a great discussion. Uh, You really epitomize the success of Southwest and why they're such a formidable competitor in the airline business. But we appreciate you joining us today. I know our guests are going to love this conversation and we wish you all the best in your new role. Well, Chris, thank you. And, and Ben, also, it's been, it's been great to be with you. Thank you so much, Linda. The Airlines Confidential Podcast is now available on Apple, Google, iHeart, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Pandora, Spotify, TuneIn, and many more. Use your favorite podcasting app with just one click at airlinesconfidential.com. Welcome back to Airlines Confidential. Thanks again to Linda Rutherford for taking our questions. And now it's time for us to take yours. Remember, you can leave a question on our voicemail at 202-964-0177. Or you can email us at questions at airlinesconfidential.com. Or visit our website at airlinesconfidential.com and follow the prompts. We're available on all the major podcast platforms, and you can ask Amazon Alexa or Google Assist to turn us on. Just say, play the Airlines Confidential Podcast. Ben, our first question is from Charles out of San Diego, California. Guys, your interview with Vasu Raja was really interesting and informative, but I was hoping 
you would have asked about the huge, all caps, taxes and fees the UK government added about 10 years ago to award travel going to or ending in the UK. Since Americans' main hub for Europe is London Heathrow, when I try to use the AA miles to Europe, nearly all of their connections are through LHR. Very few are usually through Madrid or any of their other partners. And the fees are insane, hundreds and often even over $1,000 or much more. I would have liked to hear from him, and maybe you guys can discuss it and inform us about it or discuss with somebody else, what AA thinks, what if anything AA is trying to do about it, and whether they feel it reduces advantage use and participation at all, or there's any other effects. Great question, Charles. And I too would like to know if American thinks this puts advantage at a disadvantage to Sky Miles or Mileage Plus. You know, people aren't hit with the same level of taxes if they redeem United Miles and connect through Frankfurt or Sky Miles and connect through Amsterdam or Paris or something. And so I do think that for people who are earning miles, specifically to try to earn reward travel to Europe, that advantage may have a disadvantage to these other carriers. That said, the people who build up enough miles to earn free trips to Europe are flying a lot on the U.S. carrier if they want to get to Europe on a partner or connect on a partner. And usually that means they're kind of trapped meaning they live in Dallas or Charlotte, so they don't really have anyone to fly but American if they fly a lot to a lot of nonstops, or they're in Atlanta or Detroit and Delta's their carrier or something like that. So while I think it is unfortunate that the UK charges these enormous rates, and I'm sure to some extent that bothers American and thinks, wow, why do we have a partner that's based in a country that does this to reward travel? On the other hand, I don't know that there's much they can do about it. And frankly, I don't know how much consumers can do about it either, because to say, well, I'm not going to earn advantage miles, so I don't have to connect in London Heathrow on my reward travel probably means all kinds of problems in trying to earn the points in the first place. Yeah, I haven't used miles to travel to London Heathrow, but I've certainly paid for tickets to and from London Heathrow or my companies have. And you know, even the fees on a on a revenue ticket are exorbitant compared to the other major hubs in Europe referencing these taxes that uh, Charles wrote in about. So, you know, look, if BA especially is the main constituent there, if they can't get this fixed right now when the whole world's trying to rebuild international airline travel, I don't know when it's going to get fixed. So, you know, the certainly the New York to London and London to the rest of the U.S. markets are hurting a lot, and BA is quite disadvantaged. So now's the time to pursue getting this getting this rolled back. If it's not now, it never will be. Okay, if nothing else, this question shows the loyalty of our listeners and that they're really listening. And it's from Dag in Annandale, Virginia, not too far from your George Mason University campus, Ben. Guys, after listening to episode 102, which I thoroughly enjoyed, I was wondering if Ben could clear something up. How do you play the game where you draft airline hubs? Thanks again for the engrossing interview with Andrew Levy. 
Well, thank you very much. Uh, this is great, Dag, that you're interested in this. Well, my son is a football fan as well as a emerging airline geek, and his dad is both of those two. And so um, our idea for the airline hub draft came during an NFL draft. And I just said to him, well, what if airlines drafted hubs the way teams draft players? Like what would be considered the most valuable hubs? So we quickly drew up an idea that there are no airlines in the United States. And if you draft a hub, you are immediately offered 80% of the access to that hub. So whether it's slots, gates, or whatever. So you will basically have the kind of dominance in that hub that Delta has in Atlanta, basically, okay? And so from that, what would you pick first? Would you pick Atlanta if you could have any hub in the U.S.? Or would you pick a Newark or a Los Angeles or something? And so usually the way we just play the game is we you know, do rock, paper, scissors or something to see who starts. And we just draft. And over time, we've gotten somewhat predictable and that I tend to like Newark and LA and he really likes, tends to like Atlanta and Chicago. And I don't know that either of us can say we're right or wrong, but it's just fun. And it's a fun thing we do usually like on a drive into school or something like that. It's nothing we take really seriously, but it's a fun thing. And sometimes we open it up and we'll do a worldwide draft and draft hubs from all over the world. So you got to build a worldwide network, not just a U.S. network. Sometimes we'll do just North America. Sometimes we'll say only five hubs from North America, five from Europe, two from Africa, seven from Asia, things like that. So we try to mix it up to keep it fresh, but it's just a fun thing. Enzo's too young and I don't want to corrupt him, but maybe if you add a little drinking element to that game, it might be a little funner. But um, so. <laughs> I'm sure that would be great. In a few years, maybe that's the way I'll teach him to do it. Maybe get, maybe get, a, little, maybe get a little miniatures or something. You got to take a shot with, uh, with your draft pick or something. So, Well, Chris, we picked up a nice tailwind and we're going right to our finer wine. It's from Kevin in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, who sent in a question that masquerades as a finer wine, so we're going to treat it like that. Love the show, guys. On Friday afternoon at 5.45 p.m. on September the 24th, Carly Lloyd, the U.S. Women's National Team soccer star, tweeted at Delta that she needed to get to her game tomorrow in New York, and so could they hold the 6.45 p.m. Raleigh to JFK flight for her. Cami from Delta's social media wrote back two minutes later and said that they won't hold flights. Ms. Lloyd later tweeted a masked selfie with the caption, Made it. According to FlightAware, the flight left the gate five minutes early. I see on Twitter there are divided camps. Some feel they should have recognized the celebrity and held the plane. Others are saying Ms. Lloyd acted spoiled, entitled, and irresponsibly. Is this a whine or is it a fine? Well, first of all, I'm impressed that Cami from Delta replied within two minutes. So clearly their social media team is uh, on a roll. Look, it doesn't hurt to ask. God answers all questions. Sometimes the answer is no. And you know, they said, no, we're not going to hold the flight, which is the right answer. And yeah, celebrities sometimes you know, take advantage of their status, but you know, airlines don't have to comply. And in this case, Delta didn't, but 
Carly Lloyd thankfully still made the flight. And uh, I, I guess people have nothing else to do, so they're going to get involved in commenting or criticizing her request. I don't see anything wrong with the request in that we've all been in situations where you know we've listened to somebody even on boards, you know, passengers asking the flight attendants, I'm, we're going to be late, I'm going to miss my connection. Can't they hold my flight? Can you radio the grand and tell them to hold my flight? So people are always asking for a favor as it relates to holding a flight. It's just very rarely granted. And if it is granted, it's not because there's one celebrity on, but in the context of a group of passengers who maybe are on connected to an international flight or something that it makes sense for the airline to hold the flight. So I think it's fine that she asked and I think it's fine that Delta did what they did. I totally agree with you on this one, Chris. And when I was CEO at Spirit, Spirit wasn't always thought of as being the most customer friendly airline. But I remember one time I was rushing to the airport to get on a flight on Spirit And I called the airport manager and said, is the flight running on time? And they said, yes, it is. And I said, well, I'm going to get there in about 10 minutes. Not sure I'll make it. And he said, do you want me to hold the flight? And my immediate response was absolutely not. Right. It's like we shouldn't hold flights for anybody. And I don't care if I'm the CEO. I'll wait and I'll fly on someone else or I'll go tomorrow. It's my fault. I'm not there. Right. And so. I agree with you. It it makes sense to hold a flight if you've got 40 people coming in on another flight, all connecting to a long haul flight or something like that. But in most cases, you know, for celebrity or not, I think Delta did the right thing. But I don't blame Carly Lloyd for asking either. (laughs) Frankly, in my experience in airline PR, we had more issues with some high profile journalists, television personalities and things uh, asking for special favors and kind of suggesting that they would do an investigative report. I had a 60 Minutes reporter who threatened to to uh, do an expose on our airline because we couldn't get her a seat next to her husband. And I couldn't figure out why 60 Minute viewers would want to watch that story. But so, look, people are going to use their leverage wherever they can, but uh, you got to enforce the rules with consistency and and just do that every day. So as we close, Dan, another great podcast, I first want to thank Linda Rutherford again, and then I want to join the America West alumni with a shout out to Ed Bovey, who founded the airline in 1983 at about the time that the U.S. industry was fully deregulated from the Airline Deregulation Act of 1978. America West had some near-death experiences, but hung tough, got through 9-11 as the first airline to secure a federal loan guarantee eventually merged with U.S. Airways, which then became the prevailing management team at the world's largest airline, today's American Airlines. Ed passed away last week, but leaves quite an airline legacy. And a great legacy, too. That's a great shout-out, Chris. My shout-out goes to Scott Kirby of United, and I've not always been a fan of Scott Kirby, but He went on Squawk Box this week, the CNBC show, talking about United's vaccine requirement, and they asked him what advice he would give other companies who are struggling about this. And I thought his answer was straightforward and right. He said, just go ahead and do it if you think it's the right thing to do. And I can say from experience that making a decision that you think is right but doesn't have complete approval by the media or others is sometimes a hard thing to stick to. 
And I think it's great that United went out with this and Scott led that effort and did stick to it. And they felt it was the right thing. And I thought Scott represented that really, really well. So like you said earlier, Chris, I'm not making a political statement by saying that all. I'm making a free market statement. <laughs> and, um, and I think Scott did a really nice job at that. So good job, Scott. Well, let's uh, say goodbye for this week's Aliens Confidential. We appreciate your joining us and look forward to seeing you back here next week. Have a great week, everyone. This podcast is produced by Mass Media. Info at massmedia.net.